Welcome to the C3 Silicon Valley Church Podcast. Senior pastors Adam and Kira Smalcom are so excited to share this message with you and believe that God will speak to you through it. Here at C3SV, we know that God has the best in store for you today and every day. Romans chapter 4 verse 13. So you can meet me there. If you are new and you do not have a Bible, don't feel condemned or ashamed. We're going to have it on the screen for you. So you can follow up along there. And um, I'm reading out of the New Living Translation, if any of you, you know, care about translations. So, so I need to preface the message this morning because right here, what we're about to enter into is a letter that Paul has written to the Roman church. Now, what we need to understand is this Roman church, uh, they actually, he hasn't met them yet. He longs to meet them. He, he, he thinks of them. You know, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, if you've ever felt connected to a people you've never met. Have you ever felt like that? We, I used to feel connected to Americans before I'd ever met any of you. And look, here we are. So Paul, he just feels this connection with these people that he's never met. And you know, um, they actually got saved. The origin of this church was a, a bunch of Jews who got saved at Pentecost in Acts 2. So you can read about it. And so on their way home, they run back home to Rome and they spread the gospel. And this is how the church was birthed. So uh, Paul is addressing a letter to them and he's sort of introducing himself but he's also laying down the doctrine of faith, okay? And so here when we pick up in verse 13, it says this, Clearly God's promise to give the whole earth to Abraham and his descendants was based not on his obedience to God's law, but on a right relationship with God that comes by faith. If God's promise is only for those who obey the law, then faith is not necessary and the promise is pointless. For the law always brings punishment on those who try to obey it. The only law, the only way to avoid breaking the law is to have no law to break. Verse 16. So the promise is received by faith. It is given as a free gift and we are all certain to receive it, whether or not we live according to the law of Moses, if we have faith like Abraham's. For Abraham is the father of all who believe. That is what the scripture means when God told him, I have made you the father of many nations. This happened because Abraham believed in the God who brings the dead back to life and who creates new things out of nothing. Even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping, believing that he would become the father of many nations. For God had said to him, uh, that's how many descendants you will have. And Abraham's faith did not weaken, even though at about 100 years of age, he figured his body was as good as dead. And so was Sarah's womb. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise in fact, his faith grew stronger, and in this he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced God is able to do whatever he promises. And because of Abraham's faith, God counted him as righteous. And when God counted him as righteous, it wasn't just for Abraham's benefit. It was recorded for our benefit too, assuring us that God will also count us as righteous. If we believe in him, the one who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, he has 
He was handed over to die because of our sins and he was raised to to life to make us right with God. What a powerful passage of scripture right there. So we are going, I've got the challenge this morning of dissecting this and making this become revelatory for your minds. Amen. And so um, I have titled this message, Not Religious, Neither Was Abraham. Not religious, neither was Abraham. Now, I know you might be thinking, well, you know, so Abraham's not religious, neither am I. If you've learned anything in this series, we're not religious, right? And so we've plastered it on billboards and we've, you know, sent out mailers and we're making this statement. But not religious, neither was Abraham, had a deeper meaning for these people that that Paul was actually talking to. You know, the Jews of Jesus' day, they actually considered Abraham to be their primary example of religiosity. He was their primary example of justification by works. And so I thought that we'd flip it to win it today. I mean, flip it. Manly. I've been watching too much HGTV. I thought I'd flip it today and just... Make that statement, not religious, neither was Abraham. Because this is the exact point that Paul is trying trying to drive home to his, his audience. And you know, I love that he knows his audience. He knows the people that he is writing to. He knows that they have a Jewish heritage that is heavily weighted in works, in this mindset of works. They have a conditioning in their mind that they need to work things out. You know, um, I think that we too can have that conditioning in our mind as well. And you know, Paul, I love that he knows exactly what he's doing right here. He's challenging them. He's challenging them on what they believe. Now they were saved by faith through grace at Pentecost, but they had fallen back into a works mentality. And so he's challenging this point with them. And you know, I love that he uses the primary example of their, the the thing that they would argue is, well, we're justified by works. Well, no, he's saying you're justified by faith. So when Abraham told God to sacrifice, I mean, when God told Abraham to sacrifice his son, Isaac, the way that the story was passed down was passed down through a filter of religiosity. It was passed down through a filter of obedience. Because Abraham was such an obedient man, then that's why he was accredited righteousness. And so this is how it's been filtered down. And Paul just grabs hold of them and he goes, you know what, guys, the emphasis of this story is in the wrong place. Yes, he was an obedient man. Yes, he went to sacrifice his son and he almost followed through with it until God came through. But he was a man of faith before he was a man of obedience. And so he's saying, you know, you've got the story kind of right, but the emphasis needs to be back in this place, that we are not saved by our own works, that we are not a religious people, that we are saved by righteousness because of our faith in Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. And so here in Romans chapter 4, Paul is just bringing it all together for them. And, you know, he's putting the emphasis back in the right place. And so I know, I don't know about you, but when I look at that scripture, I can see that that spirit of religiosity was just trying to creep back in to the early church and these young Christians. And so it still does that today for us. And I love that Paul comes to arrest it right 
in the midst of what they're going through. So why don't we pray this morning as we come around the Word. Um, Father, I just thank You. I thank You that You are here and You are with us. And Father, I pray that You would bring Your revelation. Your words would come through. Father, I thank You that You would break off any religious mindsets that we have, any things or lies of the enemy that we have believed. And Father, I just pray that You would unshackle us in Your presence today by the power of Your Word, that Your Word would go forth and it would dissect between bone and marrow, soul and spirit, and produce a great and mighty work within us today in Your mighty name. Amen. Amen. Well, where are all my parents at? We got some parents here? Okay. So there's this new Disney movie out, and I know you all know exactly what I'm about to say. But this movie, it's one word, and this one word brings chills to my spine. And it is frozen. And it's not because of the literal meaning of it. It's because the Let It Go song is going to be sung over and over and over again, relentlessly. And in my house, this song is just, you know, it's, it happens in the shower time, in the morning. It happens as we're getting dressed. It's our whole lives have become a melodrama of Frozen and Let It Go. And I just really wish that they would let this song go, you know. We... We went out on our date night. We went out on our date night the other night at in, down San Pedro Square, and uh, karaoke came on. What came on? Frozen. Someone obsessed with Frozen. I can't escape it. But my twins, who are seven, they are obsessed with this movie. They love this movie. And you know, when you go to the Disney store, then they they start to lay out all things Frozen and all the accessories so that they can pretend to be these princesses in the movie, right? And so um, Zali, one of my twins, had $5 to spend. Now, the other twin had no, no money to spend. Zara had none. So this is a catastrophe that is about to take place. And so... I said to Zara, well, where did your money go? And she said, well, I gave $1 to Auntie Kathleen for her birthday. She wrapped it up. I gave $1 to um, Auntie Amy for her birthday. She wrapped that up too. And she goes, and the rest of the money I gave to God in the offering. <laughs> so I was like, okay, I'm going to have to give her $5. <laughs> so I gave her $5. Now, I don't know if you know this, but you can't buy anything for $5 in the Disney store. So we are literally going through things. And, and she's, she's pulled this Queen Elsa dress off the rack, which, by the way, now is nowhere to be seen. It's like sold out. And so she pulls it off the rack and she's holding it and she's got her $5 in her hand. And she's doing the math and she's realizing that there's a $45 shortfall. <laughs> And so she puts her hands on her hips because my Zara is very assertive. And she looks up at me and she says, well, I think it's about time we bring back the allowance then, don't we? Because I need money to be able to afford all these things. And so, so, you know, in that moment, though, she forgot that just as my husband was sharing earlier, she has a daddy. Now, when she looks up at her daddy with those big blue eyes... And says, Daddy, I've wanted one of these my whole entire life. And Frozen's only been out for six months. Like, 
that he is inevitably going to put his hand in his pocket and he is going to pay for that for her and give it to her as a gift, right? And who knows why she forgot that? Probably because she's with mummy who has conditioned her that you work hard for your money. You know, I'm the reason that they have this works mentality. And so I'm just admitting default. And so in Romans chapter 4, verse 4, Paul's addressing this same mindset that these people, the early church, the, the Roman church are having. And he says, when people work, their wages are not a gift, but something they have earned. But people are counted as righteous, not because of their work, but because of their faith in God who forgives sinners. To be perfectly honest, our minds can be conditioned like this still today. Is anybody else out there? like me, right? We still think if I just work harder, if I could just, you know, work longer hours, then I could earn more money. And that somehow works its way into our doctrine of faith. What was first received as a gift, we feel like as we start to work it out that we might, you know, have to work a little bit more to get more of God's attention. Or we might have to do a little bit more to get more of His favour. And that is what Paul is addressing. You know, he, he wrote this letter to be a reminder to us today that in our time frame, that in our moment in history right now, that we would remember that religiosity binds, it condemns, it constrains us. But right relationship, which is what Paul is talking about, is the very thing that is going to set you free. It's going to reverse the process. You are never going to be able to earn salvation. It is a free gift. And you, all you need to do is receive it. Amen? <clears throat> so so um, we're going to have a look at verse 13 again, because what I want to do is I want to kind of parallel and unpackage some of these things, two words in particular, obedience being the first one and belief being the second. So first point is obedience. Uh, in verse 13, it says, clearly God's promise to give the whole earth to Abraham and his descendants was based not on his obedience to God's law, but on a right relationship with God that comes by faith. Right relationship. You know, I, I think, um, you know, it's a good thing. I kind of consider obedience to be a good thing. How about you? You know, as a parent, I enjoy when my children obey me. I see it as a good thing. I see myself as a law-abiding uh, citizen. You know, if there, are, if there are laws to be upheld, I will uphold them. Um, I may or may not be married to a lawbreaker when it comes to road rules. And he likes to drive fast. But, you know, um, so I love that Paul is painting, he's painting obedience in not that much of a good light. Like we have to work for this. We have to obey the law. He's he's painting it in not a good light. And I wondered, I thought about that and I thought, you know what? It's not obedience itself that's bad. It's, a, it's what obedience is subject to that is the issue. And so I wanted to have a look at that because context is everything. Now, when we were driving, we left the house the other day, we're driving up the 101. Adam looks at me and he goes, I forgot my sunnies which are sunglasses for Californians, sunnies for us Aussies. He's like, I forgot my sunnies. I'm like, oh, okay, well, you can borrow mine because I'm such a giving, loving wife. So he puts on my t turtle shell, fabulous sunglasses. 
And he looked very uh, metro, and <laughs> to say the least. And he, and he just, he's rocking these sunnies, and he goes, Kira, these, they look, everything looks orange. He goes, in fact, everything looks brighter. He's like, in fact, there is no point to wearing these sunnies because it makes the sun even brighter than it is without wearing them. And I'm indignant, of course, right, because I'm going to go to the defense of my sunnies. And I'm like, no, they're awesome. They're really good sunnies. They cost me 20 bucks from Nordstrom, you know, they're quality. And so I put them back on and I'm like, wow, everything is really yellow and brighter. So here's my public confession. You're right, honey. But, but, yeah, I know, first of many, okay? But, but you know, when we put, uh, when we put um, obedience up through the filter of the law, everything starts to begin to look a little bit orange and tainted and not the same. It has a negative outcome. You know, that which we intended to be a positive outcome, putting on the sunglasses to protect our eyes from the sun, actually, for me, became a negative filter because it wasn't doing its job. And so that's the same thing when we put obedience up against the law. It begins to be a barrier. It begins to be a filter. It begins to be something that we need to remove because it's actually not helping our life. It's something that is hindering our vision. And so obedience can actually be a a good thing and a bad thing. Obedience becomes a bad thing when it becomes works-based. And so Paul is just saying, just be mindful of this conditioning, this way of thinking, because obedience cannot produce salvation for you. You know, it is dangerous to be thinking that you can earn your salvation or that you can work for your salvation. If you remember anything this morning, you cannot earn your salvation or work for it. It is a free gift. You know, it seems harmless in my Christian walk to, to, um, I've wanted to please God. And in wanting to please God, I've thought to myself, if I just read my Bible more, if I just pray more, then God will give me favor and then I'll be blessed. And that slowly creeps in. But you know what? The Word of God has revealed to me that God isn't even nearly that shallow that He loved me while I was a wretched sinner, that He loves me now while I'm a conscious sinner. He loves me. (laughs) He loves you when you're good on your good days. He loves you on your bad days. He loves you when you lose it at the kids. He loves you when even when you give someone the bird on the 101. I would never do that. But if you have, I'm just releasing you today. (laughs) I honestly never have. But... But the point is that He loves you. His love is not shallow and conditional. It is absolutely unconditional. You can't work for God to make Him love you more. That is a farce. You're just going to be working yourself into a fit. You know, we must continually rise up to defeat those thoughts that exalt themselves in our mind that tell us we need to begin to work for this. We need to begin to, you know, do things right, live right, you know, and it begins to dictate to us how we should behave to earn God's love. You know, those thoughts that tell you, oh, I'm just a failure. I just, I'm not good enough. You know, that, that I'm going to need to begin to strive and strive and strive to please God. No, 
What pleases God is when his men and women of God rise up and have a full and complete understanding of who he is, that he loves them no matter what. And he is an unconditional God. And just, you know what the ultimate goal is? That he did everything. He gave us this ultimate free gift. He sent his son to the cross to die for us, that we could come freely into presence with him. Because it's all about being in his presence. It's all about being in relationship relationship with Him. And so often we create this barrier called religion that keeps us from coming into His presence because we don't feel we're worthy enough or we don't feel we've been good enough this week. And it hinders us from coming in to relationship with Him. Paul's talking about a right relationship, a right relationship where we know who God is and we know who we are in Him. That we come into His presence totally and completely unhindered and we can enjoy his presence. Amen. Amen. You know, um, I, I come to think about this. I um, was paralleling. I wanted to give you a very rounded view of this. So in Genesis chapter two, uh, you kind of get a revelation of why the Jews place so much emphasis or this Roman church place so much emphasis on obedience. Okay. Because in Genesis chapter 22, it says this, Um, he, you know, God challenges, uh, Abraham and he says, take your son, Isaac, your only son, Isaac, who you love so much and sacrifice him. So here is Abraham with his son, Isaac, and he's bringing the knife down over his son. And the angel of the Lord begins to speak. And in verse 15, it says this, then the angel of the Lord called again to Abraham from heaven. This is what the Lord says, because you have obeyed me. And have not withheld even your son, your only son. I swear by my name that I will certainly bless you. I will multiply your descendants beyond number, like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will conquer the cities of their enemies. And through your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed, all because you have obeyed me. I love how Paul is using this and he's referencing this because he's bringing the emphasis straight back onto what we established earlier, that actually Abraham, yes, he did obey to a fault. He did prepare to sacrifice his son, but before he prepared to sacrifice his son, he was a man in right relationship with God and he was a man of faith. And so we see this in Romans 4, 17. It should be up on the screen. The God who brings the dead back to life, he says, because Abraham, believed in the God who brings the dead back to life and creates new things out of nothing. The emphasis that Paul is trying to, you know, bring to the forefront again is this faith. And you know, Abraham's right thinking and Abraham's right believing was what produced his right actions. Okay, and so he's right living. And so we need to get it in this context and in this order because Abraham knew God's heart. His faith was so astounding and astonishing that he knew God's heart, that he believed, even if I sacrifice my son, my one and only son, whom I love so much, who I've waited for, and he is the promise that God has given me for descendants, I am going to sacrifice him. And I know that God will work out some other plan, that God has the ability to raise someone from the dead, and he has the ability to bring nothing, make nothing out of something. 
That was proof of his faith in God. You know, here's this moment, okay, when you actually read, read chapters, read around stuff. Don't just read verses. But in the beginning of Genesis chapter 2, verse 6, we get a glimpse of Abraham's extraordinary faith, which is the faith shift that Paul is emphasizing. He says in this, So Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders. He placed the wood that he was going to burn his own son on, on his own son's shoulders. He says, while he himself carried the fire and the knife, as the two of them walked on together, Isaac turned to Abraham and said, Father, he said, yes, my son. Abraham replied, we have the fire and the wood, the boy said, but where is the sheep for the burnt offering? God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, my son, Abraham answered. And they both walked on together. God will provide. Abraham had full faith that God was going to provide. That even when the circumstances look bleak, he knew that if he went to faith, God is a God who is good, who is for him, who's going to work out something that is going to turn the situation into good. And you know... Abraham, yes, he was commended for his obedience. But, you know, you're kind of thinking, well, what's the difference? Why does one have to come before the other? Well, it's for this reason, okay? Um, In James chapter 2, verse 21, it says, Don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham was shown to be right with God by his actions when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? Now, I know that I'm sending you down a path, so just follow me, okay? Because they are not contradicting each other. James and Paul are not contradicting each other. They are complementing each other because in verse 22, it says, you see his faith and his actions worked together. His actions made his faith complete. And so it happened, just as the Scriptures say, Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. He even called him a friend of God. So you see, we are shown to be right with God by what we do, not by faith alone. Now let me clarify this and make it totally clear because we are not justified by what we do in any way. But true faith always results in good deeds. But the good deeds do not justify us. Faith brings us into salvation, but active obedience demonstrates our faith is real. See, when Abraham believed first and had a right relationship with God, he had a revelation of the goodness of God and the power of God and that he was almighty. So he trusted him and obedience followed. And so, you know, we, we, we need to understand that there is balance because we are not advocating. We're not religious. We can live reckless lives, you know, and do whatever we want. We are not advocating that. We're saying we're not religious, but that doesn't mean that we, uh, we uh, means we're not condemning. It means we're not condemned, but it doesn't mean we don't live a life of conviction. And so it, it doesn't mean that we have license to do whatever we want. Let me give you an example. I love my husband. I believe in him. I trust him. I'm in relationship with him. 
I know that I do not have to prove myself to him. I know that I can come into his presence totally unhindered, like no makeup, no hair done. Like, you know, I don't have to doll myself up to come into his presence. I can just come into his presence and know that I am completely accepted, completely known and completely loved. And that is the kind of relationship that Jesus, that God wants to have with you. That when you know who He is and His heart, you can come into His presence and you can know you're going to be accepted whether you had a good day or a bad day, that you don't have to earn any of His acceptance, that He already gave it, that it's a free gift. You know, um, that He want, you know, that we need to begin to be able to draw near to Him in relationship. You know, compelled to obey. You know, when I come to God, I don't obey Him because He tells me to obey Him. It's not a list of laws. It's out of relationship. It's a wanting and a willingness to walk with and journey with that person and do life with them. And and God wants to strip away all the barriers so that you can walk in to a relationship with Him and know that you're not going to be judged. You're not going to be condemned. He loves you. He's for you. He wants to pick you up and set you back on a path that is far greater than the one that you've been walking on. Amen. And so then we have this other really powerful word, belief. Okay, so belief. In verse 18 of Romans chapter 4, it says, Even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept believing that he would become the father of many nations. Verse 20, Abraham never wavered in believing. In verse 23, and when God counted him as righteous, it wasn't just for Abraham's benefit, it was recorded for our benefit too. That if, uh, assuring us that God will also count us righteous, if we believe in Him. And so Paul is driving this home again. Abraham's never wavering belief in God and in His promises. In fact, that as the situation, the circumstances began to get worse, his faith increased. And it kind of seems like, what? His faith increased? That's kind of a really interesting point. And when you think about it, ultimately faith increases when the circumstances become dire. Okay, so if you were to tell Abraham at 20, you're going to be the father of many and I'm going to give you a son. It's easy faith right there. He's 20. You know, he's still young. He's got plenty of time. But to tell him that he is going to have, you know, an, a descendants when he's on 100, when his wife is, her womb is as good as dead. And every day that he's walking that out, the likelihood of it happening is becoming less and less. Yet his faith is increasing. Why? Because he knew that God was able. He knew that he was able to do the impossible. And so I had, I have got to thinking about this and I thought, you know, I want to give like a, an example of something that you can tangibly see today. Okay. So I began to think about how it just feels like yesterday that we were selling everything that we had to come and plant this church. Okay. So if you don't know, we sold everything and we came over with two suitcases each. I did not sell all my fabulous shoes. I kept them. And I brought them with me. So I'm not totally, you know, selfless for God. Okay, but 
we put everything out on our front lawn. And I can remember, we, I mean, we sold like, you know, washers, dryers, microwaves, you, you name it, furniture. And our little girls were selling, they had a lemonade stand and they were selling their toys and because they were going to start a church in Disneyland because that's all they knew was California. <laughs> but as the date grew nearer and as we had gotten rid of everything, we cut off like, you know, there was no going back. We weren't going back to a house or any possession. It was just coming here. That was the plan. We had the, the maple tree in in Sunnyvale booked for 14 days. And after that, we didn't know what we were doing. We were just by faith. And so as we began to draw closer, I got to tell you, we leaned into God and our faith grew stronger. When you have more on the line and there is more at risk, faith can grow stronger. And can I tell you that on the other side of that, look around you. You know, God is building His church. He's faithful to His promise. You can trust God in His Word. You cannot just... You know, we can, sometimes we see these stories and we read these stories and we think, oh, that was just once upon a time. No, God's still moving to pre- perform His Word today. He's still gathering people. He still has a purpose and a plan for you. He still heals. He still provides. He still reigns. He's still seated and in power. Amen? And so I just feel like as a church, as a people of God, that we could begin to rise up and put our belief back in God. Because you know, the only thing that sets Abraham apart from the rest of us is that he believed what God said. He believed what God said. There are so many things that we believe. We believe the opinions of others. We believe our feelings that make them more tangible and more real than the things of God. We need to begin to put our belief back in God. I want you as men and women of faith to be men and women of faith and power that you know who you are and you know who your God is, that He reigns. Amen? And so... I just wanted to encourage you this morning too, you know, sometimes when you're in the midst of walking this faith out, you know, you kind of need to remind yourself to begin to put your faith back in God, to begin to believe in God. I'm sure Isaac had to begin to believe in God the whole way up that mountain. He was just reassuring himself, I know God's good. I know God's good. He's always been good to me. He's always going to provide. You know, I don't know what it is if you're waiting, if you're in that waiting zone, waiting for the one. Trust God to bring them along. You know, if you're waiting, waiting for provision, trust God that He will provide. If you're waiting for that job, put your belief back in God. If you're waiting for that healing, put your belief in God because He's a God that heals. Amen? And so uh, it's believing. It's by believing. You know, from a human standpoint, I just want to make this note, that from a human standpoint, there was no hope that Abraham was going to have descendants. But God is the God of the impossible. Amen? And you know, what Abraham is so beautiful about him is he wasn't just a positive thinker. He wasn't just positively thinking this up. He had a deep inner conviction that God is consistent with His Word and that He will absolutely be true to His Word. You know, we live in a funny world. We live in Silicon Valley, which I feel like is a place where a lot of believers dwell. You know, we believe in all different things here. But 
what we do do is there's like this open heaven. Belief resides here. People are positive. People believe in people and they believe in their entrepreneurial ideas and they will fund their entrepreneurial ideas and people actually touch their dreams here. They build their dreams and they touch their dreams and there's something super powerful about that. Well, I believe that God wants the Holy Spirit to hover through this place and to expand Silicon Valley to be a place where people believe in God just as much as they do as each other, just as much as they do in that entrepreneurial idea. That's the very reason that we came here. You know, the thing about belief is that belief is universal. It's universal and we see it in the promise. We see it in the promise that God made to Abraham. Abraham, you'll inherit the world. You can look at so many different translations. They all say world. And you know, if Abraham, if Abraham inherits the world and we are heirs of Abraham because we believe, then what does that make us heirs of? The world. And we have the world at our doorstep. The world is coming here to work, to do all their different things that they're doing. I just get chills when I begin to think about what God wants to do through the earth, through a bunch of people like you and me who will believe in our God, who will believe for a greater outcome, who will, who will be those men and those women of faith. Because it's easy to just believe the bad reports. When someone calls you and they're crying, sister is, you know, being diagnosed with all these things. What are you going to do? Are you going to be like, oh, I feel so sorry for you? Or are you going to be like, I'm going to stand with you and I'm going to believe with you because I know a God who is powerful, who's able to heal the sick and raise the dead. I'm going to stand with you in faith. You know, this house, this church should be a house of faith. It should be a house of power. Amen. Where we know who we are, where God is able to be God, where we're not constrained restricting Him by some worldview. God, it's totally rational for God to be God in a biblical sense. The only thing that locks Him out is a worldview that disallows Him to be God. But we are not part of that world. We are part of His kingdom and we are allowing Him to be God in our lives and in our presence and here in our meetings. This should be a place where people pour into and go out of and they're like, I can't, I can't even describe it. I'm just so blessed. Like I got that job that I was waiting to get, you know. God beginning to provide for people. Amen. Um, so, you know, I just believe that we need to begin to start to switch on that belief on the inside of us. Amen. Naomi, why don't I get you to come up? Because I know that there is, you know, plenty of us here today. And, and for, you know, for your benefit, I'm going to read uh, Romans chapter 4, verse 24. Um, and just close your eyes across this place, because I just want to read this over you this morning. But to, in closing out, it says, for our benefit too, assuring us that God will also count as righteous if we believe in Him, the one who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was handed over to die because of our sins and He was raised to life to make us right with God. You know, we've plastered this on billboards and mailers to convey this message that we are not religious. We are not religious. You know, our relationship with God is not based on our actions. It's not based on your actions. It's not based on your goodness. It's not based on your righteousness. 
If it were, it'd be too weak. It'd be too weak and unstable a promise if that were the case. But God did all the work so that you could freely come in to relationship with Him. In fact, this actually isn't about us at all. And it's all not about our obedience, but it's all about Jesus' obedience. You know, He went to the cross and He gave up His life. And He was the ultimate sacrifice for you and for me. Thank you for listening to today's message. We trust you heard from God and that you're more encouraged, more refreshed, and more in love with Jesus than you were before. If you ever find yourself in the Bay Area, we'd love for you to come and attend a service. For more information about C3SV, please visit www.c3sv.com.